I remember a time when I was younger um, when Christmas would be all about presents and the gifts that we receive. And when you're younger, you just love like the kind of gift that you like is like a big gift and it's wrapped and it's shiny. And so like when you look under your tree, like you're kind of dismissing the smaller gifts or like the poorly wrapped gifts and you're gravitating towards those bigger ones. I remember when I was a kid, we did a, a game of white elephant gift exchange and everyone was going after these big, finely wrapped gifts and all the small ones, like they were ignored. They got no love. No one wanted them. People were only stealing the big ones and the extravagant ones and the shiny one. And I remember I ended up at the end of the game, like I came out with the W I got one of the big gifts and it was like really well wrapped. It was shiny. And I remember one of my good friends got like a small crappy gift, like in those brown paper bags, you know, those kind of gifts, like the people that don't really care to wrap it well. And we opened up our gifts and to my shock, my big box was just a bunch of clothes. And you know, when you're a kid, there's nothing worse than opening a box of clothes for your gift. But I remember my friend opened that tiny crappy looking brown paper bag and it was a brand new N64 game. It was GoldenEye. And so I was like, man, I actually got the L, he got the dub. If we had judged our gifts just based on the packaging, you would have assumed my gift would have been the better gift. And I think we do that all the time. But what Christmas actually reminds us is that God's greatest gift to the world came in the most unexpected packaging. His greatest gift came in the most unexpected way. And the question I want to ask you today, this morning, as we celebrate Christmas, is how often do we miss out on what God is doing because it doesn't look the way that we thought it would or we expected it to? I want us to go to Matthew 1, 18 through 19. It's a familiar story. It's one we dive into every Christmas. Um, But I believe that God has something to speak to us about looking for him in the unexpected places. And so Matthew 1, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So just picture this, right? Joseph and Mary, like they're mapping out their entire lives. If you know anyone or you're in that season where you're like getting ready to get married and you're planning your future, you're planning your dream wedding, your dream honeymoon, you're thinking about where you're going to live together, that kind of house that you're going to cultivate, starting a family, growing old, all those things. Joseph and Mary were mapping out their lives. They had a plan. But then all of a sudden, God shows up and he interrupts their plans, right? Mary is, be, is found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And Joseph says, yo, this isn't what I signed up for. And he's getting ready to dip, right? He's getting ready to bounce. And the, the scripture says he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I wonder how many of us have in mind to divorce ourselves from the very things that God's given us just because it doesn't look the way we thought it would. Like, God, I prayed for this job, but it isn't the way that I thought it would be, and so I'm out. God, this relationship that I wanted for so long isn't what I thought it would be, so I'm out. God, this city that you called me to didn't pan out the way that I thought it would, and so I'm out. 
Like how many of you can think of instances in your life where you thank God that you didn't do what you had in mind, right? I remember um, in college, I had in mind to become an elementary school teacher. And looking back, I think it's really the providence of God I didn't because I look at my teacher friends and they're some of the most gifted, strong, courageous people that I know. And I'm looking at them like, I can't do what you do. Like, you're on another level. I had in mind what my life would look like, what my career would be, but I thank God that he didn't let me do what I had in mind. You know, many of you know Krista and my origin story, our love story. Like we, had we done what we had in mind, we wouldn't have ended up together. In college, um, we were completely friend-zoned. I was dating her housemate. She was dating my best friend. And so we were completely off limits to each other. We were just brother, sister, friends. Now my relationship with her housemate ended after three months in a terrible tragic, fiery conclusion. Um, No one died. It was just a really bad breakup. And Krista ended up dating my best friend for four years. And so they had a really long relationship. And for me, I had in mind, you know, my wife is somewhere else out there. Like she's probably also an Enneagram type seven, like doing all these amazing things. I had no idea that my wife was right before me. In fact, I would, after I broke up, I sat in a room on the couch laying down like a therapy session with Krista and her boyfriend, which was my best friend. And they were like consoling me, like, Mickey, one day you'll find her. Mickey, it's going to be okay. And I looked at them and I thought, man, this is relationship goals. So when they broke up, I took it harder than they did actually because all of my preconceived notions about love was wrapped up in their relationship. And so we had no idea, had we gone according to our plan, the things that we had in mind, we would not have ended up together. But I thank God that he didn't let us do what we had in mind. And what ended up happening is we ended up getting together. And the funny story is my best friend, her ex, was part of my wedding party. And now they're having a baby in January or February. It's crazy how things pan out. But how many of you can think of a time in your life where you thank God that he didn't let you do what you had in mind? James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. What if you and I could trust that whatever God gives us in this life is actually his good and his perfect gift for us? Like, what if your job right now is actually God's good and perfect gift for you? What if the relationship you're in is actually God's good and perfect gift for you? What if what you're experiencing right now is the exact thing that God needed to give you? Or maybe another way to look at it, what if your perceived lack right now is actually God's good and perfect gift for you? What if your singleness or your unemployment or the things that you don't have, the season that you're in and you wish that you could be in, what if those are actually God's greatest gift for us right now? Remember that God's economy is not like the world's economy. In God's economy, he often does more with less, right? He's the God that turned five loaves into a feeding of the multitudes. And so maybe instead of doing what we have in mind, we should be asking God, what's on your mind? How can I see this situation? How can I see my life through your eyes right now? We go on in verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her 
is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are able to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I love this. Joseph had in mind to divorce divorce her quietly because he did not see that what was in her was conceived from the Holy Spirit. What if the very thing that you despise, the very thing you struggle with, the very thing that shattered all of your expectations and your dreams is actually conceived from the Holy Spirit? God's greatest gifts often come in the most unexpected ways. See, God, what I find interesting about Christmas is we... We're thinking about a story of a God who could have saved the entire world as quick as like a Thanos snap. But instead, his like divine grand strategy is to send a baby to save us. Like it's probably the most absurd, counterintuitive plan in the entire world. You know, I didn't really see the absurdity of it until I had a baby for myself. And if you have a baby, you come to understand very quickly, babies are utterly useless. Like Zion cannot do a single thing for us. There is no productivity that happens when Zion is in the picture, right? Babies just are not a good um, counterintuitive strategy, especially for saving the world. See, we have to remember that Israel was expecting a savior of power and strength. Instead, they got a helpless and weak, crying baby. Right? Israel was expecting a king of royalty and stature. Instead, they got a refugee humbly born in a manger. Jesus comes to save the world, but no one recognizes him because he wasn't the savior that they were expecting. Hear me, church. What's conceived through the Holy Spirit is often hidden to the eyes of the world. It takes a certain posture a certain perspective to see what God's doing in our lives. And we'll miss God's greatest gifts for us if we don't learn to recognize the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And so our prayer becomes, God, show us how Holy Spirit is moving among us. And then we get to the last part of this story, verse 22 to 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I think it's really significant that Jesus entered the world the same way that every single one of us do, as babies and in tears. It speaks to a God who entered into our suffering, who understands our pain, who understands what we go through, who is not Uh, unsympathetic or unempathetic to what our plight is. But hear me, church, Jesus didn't join us in sorrow just as an experiment in empathy. He didn't join us in sorrow just to write a book like a Brene Brown book. He didn't join us in sorrow just to see what empathizing would look like. He joined us in sorrow so that he could lead us one day to the joy that comes in the morning. Right? Jesus once said in John 16, 20 to 24, when he's speaking to his disciples, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. 
Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take your joy away. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. What's he saying? He's saying there is coming a day when our joy will be completely overshadowing our suffering. That every pain, every sadness, every sorrow we've ever experienced will be overshadowed by joy. We won't even remember it anymore. What's crazy is when we gave birth, I say we, when Krista gave birth to Zion, it was all her. Honestly, it's phenomenal. She is so strong. When she gave birth to Zion, And we had baby in our arms and we had gone through the hours of labor, of crying, of sweating, of bleeding. And she had gone through the arduous process of giving birth to a child. And I had gone through the emotional distress of being there watching my wife struggle and not really being able to help her. When we had gone through that entire ordeal and baby was in our arms, we weren't thinking of how hard it was. We weren't thinking of the pain that we had just experienced. We weren't thinking of the hours of turmoil and stress and strength that it took to get baby there. We were enjoying Zion. We were enjoying our baby. There was no thought to all of the months and the moments and the hours of everything it took to get him there. We were just enjoying that he was here. And what Jesus is saying is there is coming a day when our shadows, when our sufferings, when our sorrows will be overshadowed by our joy. See, check this out. In the first advent, Jesus entered the world in tears, just like every baby who has ever been born. But in his second advent, when Jesus comes again, Jesus will enter the world this time to wipe away every tear. The first advent, Jesus joins us in our tears. In the second advent, Jesus comes to wipe away every tear. This is the hope that we hold on to in between the first advent and the second advent. In between the already but not yet. In between in our time of waiting. The question I want to answer as we close today is what can we do in our waiting? We're in this tricky space between the already but not yet, between the first advent and the second advent. How do we carry on when life often looks so different from what we expected, amidst our disappointments, amidst everything that's let us down, when things don't go as expected, how do we carry on believing for this joy? And I want to look to one last passage and we'll close here. It's one of my favorite passages now, especially this year for Christmas. It's found in Luke 1, 39 through 47. The angel just visited Mary, let her know your life's about to be completely, drastically changed with the birth of this child. And there's a sweet moment between Mary and Elizabeth in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of the greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. 
Hear me, church. You're pregnant. Yeah, I'm talking to you right there watching. You're pregnant. I'm pregnant. In a sense, all of us are pregnant with God's promises. Like there are things that God has been incubating in our lives, deep within us, that haven't come to fruition yet. Hopes, prayers, breakthroughs, dreams. And I think it's so beautiful in this story that when Elizabeth gets together with Mary, the unborn baby inside of her womb leaps for joy. I think there's something about our coming together that causes the unrealized, the unfulfilled, the unborn things in our lives that have been incubating where no one could see begin to leap for joy. Right? Things we've been believing for, things we've been dreaming of, promises we've been holding on to, they kick with life when we get into community. Despite the unfavorable circumstances that were coming against Mary, joy leapt to life in the context of community. Have you ever had someone pray for you? And it's like as if something inside of you began to jump with life. Like your faith for the thing you've been contending for is refreshed. Your strength is renewed. Your joy is resurfacing. And have you ever noticed like people, when generally speaking, when people pray together, they generally leave that prayer happier Right? One of my favorite things to see is when people roll into service on Sunday mornings. Like, I, I see all your faces when you come in on Sunday. Like, you look tired. Some of y'all look depressed. Some of y'all look defeated and just over life. But I'll, I never forget the look on the, the face of people whenever we go through a service and we have a moment, we create a moment where people can pray for one another. Like when we don't do that, people leave with the same face. Like when they hear my message, it's nothing. But when people pray together and pray for each other, like people are laughing and smiling after service, the entire countenance changes. Why? It's not necessarily because their circumstances changed, but something within them began to leap with joy in the presence of others, despite it being unfulfilled or unborn. And there's something about getting together with other believers where the things that we've been holding on to deep inside of us begin to leap for joy. And for a moment, it's like we're recalibrated to a joyful anticipation that God is gonna come through for us. Hear me, church. Some of you have no joy because you're disconnected from the body. You've cut yourself off from the very thing that God longs to give you joy through. But in our coming together, the unfulfilled things we've been believing for leap for joy within us. For a moment, we're able to see Holy Spirit working in the areas of our lives where we felt like God abandoned us. And so church, this Christmas, I want to encourage you and challenge you. What if we learn to let go of our expectations and trust that what God gives us right here, right now, is his good and his perfect gift for us. As crappy as the gift wrapping might be, as difficult as the circumstances might be, as painful as the situation we may be in, can we trust that God has a good gift for us in it, despite it? God, this isn't what I pictured, but I trust that this is what you purposed. God, this isn't what I expected, but I trust this is your good and your perfect gift for me. Let's pray. God, this season, for many of us, it represents joy, 
It represents hope and peace and love. But if we were to be honest with ourselves, some of us feel so far from those things. There's a disconnect between the themes of Christmas that we're called to enjoy and the reality of our lives before us. But God, as you came to the world in a very unexpected way, even in a low and a humble way, in a way that people would look at and scoff and be disgusted by, God, I thank you that you came in such a way where it took a special posture, a special perspective to see you, to see the movement of the Holy Spirit. And I pray you would give us those eyes right now as we're looking at the circumstances of our lives, we're looking at our relationships, as we're looking at everything before us. And although it may look lifeless, although it may look dead and painful, and it may look like like you're not in it, I pray you give us eyes to see that it's actually your good and perfect gift for us, that you are hidden in the mess. And so today we remember the God who joined us in tears and the God who's coming to wipe away all our tears for good. We love you. We welcome you. Help us find you in the unexpected things this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.